Let's think about the scripture this morning specifically. Not just Timothy, but the Bible. What does it mean to be given instruction? I mean, you know, if we were at an educator's conference, we could ask that question and we'd have a lot of different answers. We could talk about standards of learning. We could talk about differentiation in academic settings. We could talk about learning styles, behaviors. But what does it mean to be instructed? Like if I say that Timothy is instructed by Paul. And then some people would say, well, what about our instruction from the letter to Timothy? What are we going to be told from Paul? Well, here's the answer to that question. We're not going to be told anything from Paul. Timothy was told this from Paul, and we glean from Paul. However, inside the instruction of this letter, Paul is telling things to Timothy that only Timothy should do. For example, drink a little wine for your stomach. That's not a command to the church. It's a command to Timothy. That's a friendly advice. That's a pastoral, apostolic wisdom. It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to you. But we can learn it, can't we? We can learn that that's what Paul said to Timothy in this context. And we can say, huh, I wonder if that worked for me. Let me drink a little wine from my stomach. And sure enough, maybe it would. Maybe it'd be Pepto-Bismol, I don't know. I've been thinking about Timothy a lot because in this season of my life, I have come to end up with a lot of GI issues due to stress. And I thought, well, maybe wine's the answer. But I can't drink wine. I just can't do it. I have a, I don't know, aversion to drinking wine. But some of you may go, ah, that works for me. So what do I do? Coffee. <laughs> Coffee, that is my drug of choice. Uh, it doesn't really help my stomach, though, but it makes me feel like the world is all settled. But instruction. So in this letter, the point I'm trying to make is that there's going to be a lot of things taught. And a lot of times we misconstrue the Bible. We get so blind by the by the fact that the Bible is a group, especially the New Testament, is a collection of letters written to specific people on a specific occasion with a specific purpose that we sometimes internalize and worse, we actually specialize the Bible as if it's written to us individually. Okay, the New Testament is not written to us. It's not written, written to James Tippins. It's written for me, but not to me. And so when we read a letter, for example, I'm going to read the letter of Paul to the Romans. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. We're going to deal with the Apostle and his authority this morning, thus the authority of Scripture in and of itself, thus the authority of God to command the church to submit to the apostolic authority of the Scripture, and so on and so forth. But... When Paul wrote to the letter, letter to the church of Rome, he's writing to the elders there to instruct the church in these things so that the church may know who they are in Christ. That's why Romans was written. Because the Roman people who had been born again by the divine power of God the Spirit were very, very ignorant of justification. Very, very ignorant 
of election. Very, very ignorant of what it meant to truly have Jesus Christ as propitiation. So they felt insecure. So Paul wrote that letter generally to the churches of Rome. All those who claimed Christ who were together in assembly under unified purposes, according to the scripture, with elder oversight and those serving each other in the assembly. Romans is not written to any individual Christian that ever lived, and it never will be. So an individual Christian reading the New Testament is like a researcher on Mars, has absolutely no application. I want you to hear that. Now this isn't new. I've been saying this my entire, entire adult life. I've never, ever not said this. This is not new, but beloved, there is no application of the New Testament letters except that we are together in the body. Period. Now, oh, well, now I read Ephesians and I, I, I mean, you know, I, I saw speak the truth in love. So I've been trying to keep it real and speak the truth in love. Listen, unless you are subject to the whole context of Ephesians, of that letter, and in the right occasion for that letter to be understood and lived out, it has no application. Yes, you may be given by the Lord and the Spirit some conviction and it may change your demeanor. Just like when we read and hear the Gospels and the Gospel truths of the letters, it encourages us. But why do the apostles teach this to the church? To encourage the church to be the body. Okay? Now, in Timothy, first and second, two letters, this was written according to my understanding of the history. This was written later in Paul's life. I would say two years before he died. Two years before his head was taken from his body. And I take that because 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy was written basically within just a year of each other. And Paul is on his last leg in 2 Timothy physically and emotionally. He is finished. He even tells Timothy, I mean, poured out like a drink offering. I am done. My life is almost over. I need you. I need John Mark. I need a jacket. I'm about to freeze. Luke is with me tending to my sicknesses. And lo and behold, bring those letters that we started writing. We've got to finish writing letters. We've got to finish writing. We've got to get some things down on paper before I die. This is the command of God. And so then we don't hear from Paul again. That's it. And so now... We have these letters before us, and they have been put in the Bible by the Spirit of God because they are useful. And it's interesting that the very thing that we uphold, the the authority of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture, is found in Paul's instruction to Timothy. So Paul is writing to Timothy, his child in the faith. Let's look at the first two verses. I'm not going to go any past verse 1 and 2 this morning. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus... By command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy. My, and if your Bible doesn't say my there, it's wrong. My true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace 
from God the Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. So here is the introduction to this letter. Here's the salutations, the greetings. Good to see you, Timothy. This letter is written by Paul to Timothy. And in this letter, he tells Timothy to instruct the church in certain things. Now see, some people probably will hear this sermon one day and they'll argue with me in their head. No, everything commanded in the Bible is commanded to every person. Everything taught in the Bible. That's not true. That's just really ridiculous to even say. Because I am not a mother, nor can I be a mother. I'm not a wife, nor can I be a wife. I'm not a daughter, nor can I be a daughter. So those things instructed to those particular people in the Bible have no relationship to me. Except that now I learn what they have been taught to do. Husbands. Now I know what husbands. And ladies, you know what husbands have been taught to do. Elders. Not everybody's going to be an elder. If God's called you to be an elder, you will be an elder. There's no way around it. And you can't quit. I can show you all my resignation letters. They stack deep. You just can't. You want to, you just can't. It's not about decisions and professions and, 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 and vocation. It's about call. The good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, it's all there. And so... Not everybody's going to be an elder, so not everybody's going to be taught to do certain things. Church members are not taught to interfere in the oversight of the church. Church members are not taught to teach the Bible to the church. Think about that for a second. Church members are not taught to be elders. But they're taught what elders are to be. Why? Because that's the whole, the whole ball of wax. We're one body. If I don't know what my ears are for, or I don't know what my eyes are supposed to do, if I don't know how I'm supposed to use my feet, oh my goodness, you see the point. We've got to know each other's responsibilities. We've got to know each other's qualifications. And when we get to Timothy, when we get into these letters, we're going to start seeing some things. And specifically, we're going to start seeing that Paul is going to make a lot of fuss about several different things going on in this church. And where is Timothy's church? The whole city of Ephesus. Every believer that lives within the boundaries of Ephesus, Timothy is their head pastor. I'm just going to say that by way of explanation rather than dealing with it theologically. Or ecclesiologically. It's not necessarily, there's no such thing as a head elder or head pastor, you know. Elders oversee. But he's one of the only ones, just like um, Titus was left in Crete to appoint elders. And so that's another thing that we learn in the Bible about the organization of the church. The church has God-commanded organization. God-commanded submission. God-commanded headship. And there's no way around it. There's no manly wisdom. There's no earthly wisdom. There's no organizational structure. There's no leadership development that can come in and say, God doesn't know best. We're going to do it this way. And beloved, that's how I was taught as a young boy. And I say young boy. When I first went into the ministry and I'm thinking, okay, everybody who claims the name Jesus, they all believe the truth of the Bible. Guess what? They don't believe the Bible. There's this ministry packet. There's this gospel presentation. It's A, B, C, D. And if you order now, we'll give you E. 
free shipping. And then you just, it's replicated. And for people who are taught from Scripture, that stuff is really strange. And then what do they do? Then they use Scripture to subject people who question what's happening according to Scripture to tell them to not question what's happening not according to Scripture. You follow me? And that's the American church. Well, we need something for our children. Sit them in the seats. Let them hear the Word. And then when you get home, answer their questions and let them hear the Word again. So Paul's writing to Timothy, and this letter is very intimate. He's writing to him. He calls him a child in the faith. Why? Because Paul was the instrumental person who brought Timothy to the truth. Who saved him? Jesus Christ on the cross. Who illuminated him? Who gave him faith? God the Holy Spirit. Who brought the truth to Timothy? Well, God did. How? Through Paul. Through Paul. Through the word of Paul's mouth, teaching him about the things of Christ. Teaching him about these things. And so Paul's going to deal with all sorts of problems. He's going to go straight in from this introduction to false teachers who are abusing the law, abusing the commandments, abusing all these things, who, who promote speculations and all sorts of stuff. Then he's going to go into issues of how Christians should be taught to pray. Elders, one of their primary jobs we see in the book of Acts, why is it that we had to ordain men and women to be servant leaders in the church? And I say that because it's sort of the way, but a servant, a slave, a deacon, every one of us are servants, slaves, deacons to one another, but yet there is also administrative duties in those things to which the elders cannot take time out of their calling to do, because when they do, according to Paul, Timothy, you are usurping the call. And that's why I don't counsel like I used to. Because I'm not a therapist. And so now when I do counsel, it is pastoral. It is, this is what the Word of God says to do. And some people go, well, and they never talk to me again. But the sheep of Christ, as hard as it may be, we stay centered on what the Scripture teaches. And then he's going to talk about all sorts of things. He's going to give qualifications for those who are in, not leadership, but those who are in head positions of service. And we're going to talk about what it means to be the head. Christ is the head because he's Lord, but what was Christ's headship? How was it modeled? Sacrifice. Service. Submission. You see that in Philippians, right? mind of Christ, though he was all in all ways equal as God. He did not take equality with God, something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, obedient unto death as a slave on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him that abundant the name of Jesus. Not just Jesus the Word, but Jesus the Anointed One. Jehovah saves the Anointed One that's named that. Not, not everybody that's named Jesus. Jesus is a very common name. Very common name. But the one who is anointed by God God exalted him. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess on heaven and earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is the God, Lord of heaven. He is Yahweh. And so Paul is going to say those who are head servants, they, they need to be as qualified as anyone should be. 
And then he pulls this list, as you'll see in the months to come. He pulls this list from all the other writings of the New Testament. And it shows us that everything that is required of a lead servant, of an elder or a deacon, is required of every member of every church. And that if anyone fails in these areas, they need to be corrected. What is correction? That's church discipline. What is church discipline? Church discipline is the invisible interest and action of good oversight. And I say invisible because when it's done well and biblical, it just works itself out. I mean, remember our children when they're little, back before LED lights existed, you know. The lamps that you had clipped to your headboard at home were like 6 billion degrees. The sun went out when you turned those things on. And they would catch fire. If they fell in the bed, they would combust. It would burn you up alive in your bed. And I mean, since I was like 12, I had one. And we learned. Don't touch them things. Don't push them down to the bed, to the wood. Don't put your book up there to it. Don't do it. Well, Katie was the only child that we had who was, you know, still in the stage where those lights were available. And it even had hot, do not touch on the outside of the bowl. Because I'm not kidding, it was... It was a good 200 degrees. I mean, you could cook some toast on that sucker. And she'd try to reach up one night while she was laying in the bed with Robin and me. And Robin said, no, hot. She'd try to reach up. No, it's hot. It's hot. No. And she'd reach up. She finally just, Robin just let her put her finger on it. And it, bam, little out Rudolph the red-fingered rainchild. It was something else. She cried and we felt bad. But we didn't write a newspaper article about it. We didn't, well, there was no social media. Uh, you know, there was no internet, really. <laughs> there was no free internet. You had, to, you had to be part of a community. You had to pay for it, like 50 bucks a month for like two hours worth of stuff. We didn't go and talk about it. We didn't take pictures and post it everywhere. We didn't use it as an example, even though I'm doing it now 24 years later. Uh, you know, we, we didn't use it as an example uh, for everybody to know what kind of parents we were and all this. We just dealt with it, and it was over. And people said, well, what happened to Katie's finger? Why she got a bandage on the finger? We said, well, she's just learning. <laughs> she's just growing. She's learning not to touch hot stuff. And the reason none of the other children touched that is because for two reasons. We were phasing out the fire hazards, and then also the older sister was like, don't touch that. It'll burn you to death. You'll catch on fire and die. You know, did God say, God said not to touch it. You know how it gets worse and worse? Don't look at the lamp. You'll combust. Don't say the word lamp, you'll die. I mean, you know, what's the point? That's discipline. She wasn't in trouble. She got the consequence of that. We taught her sometimes through the pain of what should be done, and that's what the letter of Timothy is all about. It's a disciplinary level letter, but we don't like the word discipline unless we're in the military or unless we're in the gym. I need dis- We need discipline. Discipline is corrective action and instruction. It's never punitive. I don't, where did that come from? It's not punitive. That's what the flesh does. The, the devil goes, you're in trouble. You're not in trouble. If you're in trouble, if any of you think you're in trouble, you need to take a self-inventory. But church discipline, church correction, is part of the oversight. It's part of the job of the elders of the church to pay attention. To go, hey, don't, Mike, don't put your finger in the electric outlet. <laughs> Why not? It looks so cool. My finger fits right in there. That's going to fry you, man. Hey, don't, don't get so bent out of shape when so-and-so says something to you. Hey, don't get so bent out of shape. Well, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, the Bible says for us just to endure and just be patient and to be kind and to teach. 
and to remind each other of the gospel, remind each other of all this goodness that Christ has and, and what He's done and His attitude and His mindset and, and what we're supposed to be all about. We're not here to police each other. There's nowhere in the Bible that gives us permission to police anybody. And so when we're taking notes like a detective in our mind and taking the personal inventory of who sins or doing what and who aren't fulfilling their obligations, it is because we are not fulfilling ours. And Lord, have mercy. I wish the critical text the critical analyst would have found more evidence for John 7 through the end of John 7 into John 8 so we could really harp on the stone-throwing mob. But it is true. Jesus says, if you've been forgiven much, you better forgive little. For by the measure that you forgive, you will also be forgiven. What is forgiveness? It seeks no restitution. It seeks reconciliation. And so this text is going to have a lot of things about how we ought to live and what we ought to be doing. And beloved, they're not shadows. This instruction is not for us to look at and go, oh, he's showing us who Jesus is. No, we see who Jesus is. For Jesus has never sinned. We're being called to do these things. To obey them. And when we don't, we suffer the consequences of that. Condemnation? Absolutely not. Hell? No way. That's what condemnation is. The wrath of God? No. But the anger of God? You better believe it. We read it in Psalm 30. What did the psalmist say? Oh Lord, your anger is only for a moment. But your mercy stands forever. We've been adopted, beloved. We've been brought into Christ. We're into Christ, not into each other, though we are into each other. We've been brought together with, as, you know, for each other into Christ. We're into Christ. So when we ignore the instructions of the New Testament, we are truly antinomian and we are truly anti-Christ. You see, we have to listen. James is, I mean, I'm not there yet because I'm not teaching right now midweek, but James is, is clear. Do what the Word tells you to do. Paul is so clear that says anyone who doesn't do what I say in these letters, count them not a brother. Oh, well, that, we're judging not by the gospel testimony. No, we're not judging their salvation. We're not giving them our intimacy. Get them out of here. But yet what I see in the world today, what I see in my own flesh is... Oh, man, you know what would be real easy? I see these people acting like this. I'm going to act like this. I'm going to do like I'm going to speak like this. I'm going, to act, I'm going to confront things the way they're doing it and see how they like it. I'm going to put their finger on the light switch see how they like it. You see? It's not the way it works. And then, Paul, then Paul's going to warn Timothy again against false teachers and what the elders are supposed to do there. And most of all, He's going to then start talking about how the body of Christ is supposed to operate in its intimacy that the older men and the older women in their jobs and the younger men and the younger women in their jobs and what we're supposed to be about doing. And if everybody that gathered together under the truth of Jesus Christ would listen and read the letters to Timothy, especially the elders, an elder that doesn't know 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus doesn't know his job. And I love how People who are not elders know what elders ought to be doing. You know? You ever? I've been told that recently in an email. 
and I'll just leave it at that. But everything that person told me that I wasn't doing in the email, none of it's in Scripture. <laughs> you know, none of it's in Scripture. Well, you got to make, we live in a different age, and we got to do some things. Then I had another brother call me Friday and just encouraged me to make sure that what I teach is as relevant 250 years from now without any pause as it is today. And how does I do that? By teaching from a text by the authority of God through the apostles that's 2,000 years old that never changes. There's no relativism. We don't have to have any cultural explanations. I don't have to have anecdotes and, and illustrations. Scripture. And that's the point I'm getting across. Prayerfully. Here we have Paul. And he's writing this letter as a friendly letter. He loves Timothy deeply. But it's a letter that is incredibly important. And though it is an intimate letter and a friendly letter, it holds great authority. It's not just saying, hey, Timothy, I want to give you some things to do. I want you to, what does he say? Teach other people what I'm teaching you. So Timothy's job was to learn who he was supposed to be by the authority of Christ. Learn what good behavior looked like in the context of his, of his position as an overseer. And then teach others in the church to do the same. And then teach other men who have the call to be overseers to continue to grow in the truth so that they also can do it. That's why, you know, that's why it's written there. The perpetuity of the church of Jesus Christ is found in the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. And beloved, in some of my higher education, of which all of you know who have known me for a while, I wish I could just undo. I'd love to have that time and money back. It's the biggest mistake of my life in the context of wastefulness. I don't know. Maybe some coffee. But anyway. I mean, you learn some stuff. And all oh, this is cool, like education. I love education. I love to teach. It's my job, right, to teach. So uh, some ways of communicating. Communication, that's good. Uh, I need to learn how to speak a little bit. There. No, you don't. Paul didn't learn how to speak. Paul didn't learn how to present a sermon. How many classes of homiletics does a man need to be a pastor? None. He needs to know what the Bible says front and back. He needs to prayerfully study it. And he needs to always be studying it. It is in the Word of God. We don't need commentaries. We don't need history. We don't need these things because what we do is we put these things as tangible assets above the authority of Scripture. And Paul is showing this to Timothy. And then the next question that comes to people's mind, well, who is Paul anyway? Because, you know, there is a large section of Christendom. And Christendom is a broad word. That means anybody who uses the Bible, okay, <laughs> in the context of history. It has nothing to do with whether they knew the gospel. I'm talking about the institutional, established people who say, we use the Bible. But there's a, there's a large section of certain circles that believe Paul is not authoritative because Paul twisted the scripture and Pauline teaching was something that should be ignored because of some of his personal sins. Well, I hate to tell you, a lot of people thought that about Paul in his day. 
You know what Paul said? You better believe I'm a sinner. I'm the chief. That's what he tells Timothy, right? Paul's a sinner. No, I'm not. No, he didn't say that. He's like, buddy, you don't have a clue how sinful this old flesh is. Because this is what happens when we grow in the truth, isn't it? We don't look in the mirror and go, well, I'm looking pretty good today. A little dusty. But God's doing a good job here. That's not, that's not maturity. That's stupid. We look in the mirror and go, whoa, am I? Who am I? But a worm that should be stepped upon by the Lord. Lord, thank you, God, for your mercy to satisfy your wrath for me. Because the closer we get to the truth and the more we study the gospel and the more we see the teachings of Paul and the other apostles as to what we're supposed to be about, the more we see we're just wicked. And anyone who says that they hate all sin is a liar in their center there. That's why John's epistle is. Anyone says he's without sin is a liar. Don't listen to those people. Well, what do those people look like? We've already gone there. Paul, look what he says here. An apostle of the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and by command of Christ, Jesus, our hope. Now, Paul had to defend his apostleship a lot. He knew he was a sinner, the chief of sinners, the least of these. Yet he was the most zealous religionist that probably walked the planet at the time before God converted him and showed him the truth. And this friendly interaction to Timothy holds great weight. It's coupled with divine authority. And beloved, we've got we to get this. We've got to get this, because if we don't get this, we're going to get to some of these instructions and we're going to fly right off into the ditch. We're going to leap off the bridge and wonder why we're in a free fall, because we forget, because we've left the bridge. We've left the foundation. We've left the bottom. The base of all the teachings in the New Testament is the fact that God alone is the author of it. And that this is written with, a div- with divine authority, with very few exceptions. Everything written in the New Testament is God speaking through His apostles. God's wisdom through His apostles. God's commandments through His apostles. God's clarifying doctrine, teaching through His apostles. And you think, what are those exceptions? When Paul says in the Corinthians, this is my thoughts, not the Lord's. (laughs) You see that twice. That's it. But if God's apostle gives me His personal wisdom, I should probably pay attention to it as well, right? But it's to encourage us. It's to encourage Timothy. And this divine authority trumps all justification, application, and ideas of everything, about, everything else. Everything that we think is right, it, it trumps it. So here we have an apostle writing to an elder. But what is an apostle? I mean, it's, the, the word means sent, sent person. And if we look at the Old Testament, we see apostles there. The prophets would send people into certain areas to say, hey, go send this message there. The apostles then would send other people that they would call apostles uh, because they sent them as messengers. 
So an apostle is someone sent by someone else. So who sent, who sent Timothy? Wasn't Timothy sent sometimes as an apostle? Yeah. And he'd walk in with some letters. And who wrote the letters? Paul. And so who was the authority? Paul. Well, who was Paul? He's an apostle. Oops. Timothy's an apostle? Yeah. But he doesn't have any authority because he was coming under the authority of Paul, who was an apostle. But Timothy wasn't an apostle of Christ. Timothy was an apostle of Paul. Paul was an apostle of Christ. You see? And there are no apostles of Christ today except those who live eternally here with Christ and their writings are here. So if I give you a Bible, well, I can't even be an apostle of Paul because he's not here to send me. So now I must just be an elder. I must just handle this and the minimum requirement for me, skill-wise, is to be able to read. That's the only skill I need. And I don't have to read good either or be grammatically right. I just have to be able to read. I'm not so sure that that's even a requirement, if you can remember it. This apostle writing to this elder, we need to understand these roles. Apostles have absolute authority over all things concerning the church. Whatever the apostles command, the church must do. Why? Because he's not an apostle of himself. He's not a messenger from Rome. He's not a messenger of the Sanhedrin. He didn't come as a messenger of of, of historical tradition of Judaism. He came as an apostle of the anointed one of God who is Jesus Christ, who is Jesus, by the command of God Almighty, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Now, I'll get into some of those distinctions next week. And he's writing this authoritatively as a messenger from God alone to Timothy, his true child in the faith. And then he gives some prescription and some blessings here to which Paul always ends his letters also. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And there's a reason why grace and mercy, mercy is sandwiched there. You don't see that often. But the apostle is the one who is sent. And the apostle, the sent one, speaks with the authority of the one who has sent him. And so Paul writes to Timothy as if Christ is writing to Timothy. He speaks as God speaks. Just like the prophets of old. So this letter is sent to the elder of Ephesus who was also Timothy's child in the faith. A protege, if you will. A mentee. And the Lord Jesus Christ has written this letter for, Paul, for, for Timothy's benefit. And now elders and the church of today can read these letters for our benefit. What should we be doing? Whatever Paul says. Well, who is he? Well, excuse me, whatever Christ says. Because, you know, there's another subsect of society who believe that only the words that Jesus, only the quotes of Jesus are authoritative. (laughs) That's ridiculous. An apostle by the command of God? You see why there are no apostles today? See why there are no prophets today in that office? 
Because anybody could, I mean, I could stand here and say, God showed me this morning, told me to say, gave me this word, and then I can give you some instruction. You know what you should do? Did Paul say that? Did James say that? Did Peter say that? Did John say that? Survey says, you're wrong. You're an idiot. You did not hear from God. Because the way I will be told of God to tell you something is that God told Paul, who tells me, who I read it to you. I just read it to you. And then you can check it for yourself. Interpreting Scripture is not difficult. Just read it. Inflect. Ask what's being said. Look at it. Look at the context. This one cent. Paul was very adamant about defending his apostolic authority. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, For even if I boast a little too much about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. The apostles were given, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4, for the building up of the church. The elders were given for the building up of the church. But the problem is, sometimes we think we know what we need to be built up with. But God has prescribed what perfectly works to build us up, what perfectly works to correct us, what perfectly works to encourage us. God's Word has established everything and only anything found in God's Word will work. And to try anything else is just stupid. You see? Why do you keep saying stupid? Because that's how I am when I try other things. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. When I think that any type of psychology is going to change you, if I think any type of therapy is going to change you, if I think any type of... And I'm talking about in relation to God's promises now. (laughs) You may need some of that medically. But not spiritually. How am I supposed to forgive? We read the Word of God. How am I supposed to relate? We read the Word of God. How am I supposed to understand? We read the Word of God. Jesus in John 15 is talking to the apostles. And what He says there may be true for us, but it's not to us. We aren't given the authority. All authority being given unto me. And then you go forth there and do... Jesus isn't talking to James Tippins. He's talking to the first messengers of the early church when there was no assembly. And now that the Word of God is complete, and now that the apostles are all dead, there is no other commission of God to go out and do the apostolic work. We are to take the Bible and stand there in it and do therein what it says to do and be content with it. Life and godliness has much gain. What does that mean? Knowing the Bible, living the Bible, resting in the sufficiency of the promises of God in Christ Jesus. You want more? It's not God's calling. Zeal, passion, unrelenting desire is not of the Holy Spirit. Peace, rest, and contentment is of the Holy Spirit, which are in direct opposition to those things. Jesus says in John 15, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. 
Therefore, the world hates you. Who's he talking to? The, the 11. And so what he says about the 11 is true of Paul as well. The world hates the apostles. Beloved, they hated them. Can you imagine having 13 people in the world who could turn it upside down on his head without riots? But there was a big riot in Ephesus, wasn't there? But it wasn't Paul's fault. It wasn't Barnabas' fault. It was their fault. Paul, like a, like a spy, went around meeting with people and speaking with people and teaching people and planting churches in peace. and said, tend to yourselves. Don't talk about this. Don't go around dealing with this thing. Stay to yourselves. Be in yourself. Be busy with your hands and serving one another. Be quiet. Be content. Be gentle. Be patient. Hush. We're not supposed to go against the government. We're not supposed to rally against the machine. We're not supposed to do all these things. It's not the church's calling. We don't care about this world and what we hope it would be. This world is what it is supposed to be. Jesus called His apostles out of the world. Then he, the apostles call the saints out of the world through the proclamation of the gospel. Not the offer of the gospel. Not the decision to choose the gospel. Not the, the idea that you can make a choice. That started more contemporary than most of us want to know. But to proclaim what God has done for His people through Jesus Christ, His Son, and these apostles are still hated today, beloved. For almost 20 years, I've been saying this. And you've heard me say it for the last 10. A lot of people who claim to be in Christ love to hear gospel preached. But they don't want to be shepherded. A lot of people like to hear the Bible preached in the context of their redemption, but they don't want to be held accountable to the instruction therein. And beloved, when we talk about the full counsel of the Word of God, that's what it's talking about. A lot of people love to hear preaching, but guess what? An elder is not a preacher. A preacher and elder are not the same. An elder must be able to teach and preach. The sweeping is not the janitor. The janitor sweeps. The elder preaches. So someone just preaching the Bible is not overseeing anybody. And preaching the New Testament to nobody without anybody together is nobody. Yes, we can talk about theological things. Yes, we can beat the drum. But what does Paul say to the Hebrew people? Who not only had they had it for their entire lives, they saw it by the grace of God, but then were continually dealing with Judaizers who continued to press illegal uses of the law. <laughs> As we'll see in a couple of weeks, what Timothy was warning, um, Paul was warning Timothy about making conditions that were not set forth by the gospel of grace. And Paul said, you all, folk, you folks know better than you. You need to move on. You need to grow. Are you just now, you still kicking and jumping upside down because of your salvation by grace? Rejoice and be thankful, but grow up. I mean, if I handed out pacifiers today, would you get excited? There's two or three in here that might, yeah, pacifier, you know. Milkshake? Yeah, we can all get excited about a milkshake. What if I gave you one every 30 seconds? 
and made you drink it. Sometimes, and I'm not saying that the gospel is wearing itself out. That's not true. You know me better than that. Don't say, don't hear what I hadn't said. But I'm saying, if all we want to hear is about our redemption, but we want to ignore 90% of the rest of the New Testament, therefore, because of your redemption, it means we don't want to be instructed by the Lord. Folks, what is up with the world today? And I'll tell you this. Most people who claim to know the true gospel of sovereign grace do not want the instruction of Christ. And there's a problem there. The world hates the apostles. And worldly people hate the apostles. No matter what they claim about Christ. I would say that when we see Paul talking in Galatians, in verse 6, chapter 1, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting Him, Christ, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, what is the... Let's, let's put that in relationship to Paul's apostolic authority. Paul, the messenger of Christ, speaking the words of Christ by the authority of God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, goes to the region of Galatia, a lot of cities there. It's a region. It would be like saying the southeast of the United States. A lot of places there, a lot of people. And preaches and sets up churches and appoints elders and then leaves them functioning according to the instruction of the Word, of His instruction. And then when He gets out of there, and the apostles get out of there, see, boss man's gone. And some of these guys are like, hey, you know what? This is getting some traction. Let's, uh, let's join in and start using those hashtags. You see? Irrelevant. I know, 200 years now. What's a hashtag? Is that, you eat it at a restaurant? They try to ride that wave. They try to come in and, 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 and make whatever they want, self-glory from the momentum of the new church. And they want to add what they think is sincerely necessary to the gospel. Which is what? Obedience to the law. And what does Paul say? You have abandoned, you have abandoned and turned from, you've deserted and turned from the gospel of grace that Christ has taught you. Did Christ go to Galatia and teach those people? No, Paul did. So Christ taught them through Paul. And then Paul leaves and the other folks come in there starting to make wrong uses of the law and other things as is happening today amongst God's people in every pocket of the world. And so Paul would say then, you are abandoning Christ and His gospel by abandoning the teachings of His apostles. I want you to hear this. It's not my words, it's Paul's words. To refuse instruction is to refuse Christ Himself. I'm going to say that one more time. To refuse the instruction of Christ's apostles is to refuse Christ Himself. You can know all the gospel truths you want to know, and you can be securely regenerated by the Spirit of God, and you can know without any hesitation and confidence that Christ is your Savior, 
But to ignore his teaching is to spurn him. What's that mean? I'm lost if I don't obey? <laughs> I didn't say that. Did Paul say that? No, but Paul said that when you do that, you're to be treated as though you're lost. What does it mean to be treated as though you're lost? You don't get the benefits of the intimacy of the assembly. Why? Because otherwise, we'll invent all manner of correcting, all, all manner of worldly wisdom on how we're supposed to correct issues and deal with each other. We'll hire consultants to come in and help the church. We'll have third parties come in from other states to mediate and mitigate. I've seen it. I hear the stories. And all we need to do is just listen. So to ignore the Scripture is to ignore Christ. And when we do that, beloved, when we do that, we're not testing anything, are we? We're not, we're not being wise at all. We're just tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching, every wind of doctrine. You know that word doesn't mean theology, right? It means instruction. Doctrine means instruction. Every wind of instruction. You better do this. You better believe this. You better know that. You better act like this. You better speak like that. You better do all these things. We just get tossed to and fro. What are we doing now? I don't know. What are we doing tomorrow? Well, we changed our mind. Well, that's called fickleness, and that's sin. Assumption is sin. Fear is sin. Doubt is sin. And we're eat up with it. And we're never going to be free of it in our flesh. But we can be free of it this morning. And we can't be free of it this afternoon at 3 o'clock. When we feel it come over us, we can come back to the Scripture and go, Okay, Lord, I'm going to submit to the Word of God. I need the discipline to listen and to hear and to be at peace. God is not in the business of drowning us in knowledge and understanding. because, And then we just never have to learn anymore. We have to learn constantly. I've been a student of the Bible as long as I can remember. And what's crazy is when I get excited about someone else who I think is a master of Scripture, I've always been very disappointed when it came to the things of the gospel or the things of the instruction to the church. That people aren't really students of the Bible. They're students of culture. They're students of their teachers. And there's no authority outside the apostles. There's no man in the world who can speak independently about matters of the church. There's no man in the world that can speak independently about matters of Christ. Let that sink in for a second. You might think, well, this is not really... This is the reason the letter's written, folks. You see how stale this type of preaching sounds? And it feels? It's like... I'm just not feeling it. Good! It's doing something. It's exalting Christ. What I've said this morning and what Paul says in verse 1 about his authority to write these letters and what he's going to teach here exalts Christ. Because Christ is the sender of the messenger of these teachings. These are the doctrines of Christ. The instructions of Christ. See, Christ instructs us about Himself, and then Christ instructs us about ourselves. 
And some people say, well, I, I just disagree. Well, First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. How about that one? First Thessalonians, chapter two, or chapter four, verse eight. Paul says, if anyone disregards what I'm saying, they disregard not man but God, who gives you His Holy Spirit. So what I've said this morning concerning the apostolic authority of Paul and the sufficiency of the letters that he's written and the instructions therein is not my opinion. It is directly taught by the apostles. So to ignore or to call me a false teacher is to call Christ a liar. Let me say that again. To call me a false teacher because I am quoting Paul is to call Christ a liar. Don't listen to people who call Christ liars. Christ a liar. Matter of fact, I would shun them and let them know it. Be very, very careful what we listen to. And then some people would say, well, how is this Apostle Paul, how is this letter to Timothy so authoritative? He's just a man. You're right. Hallelujah. That's called critical thinking. That's called brain working at right level. Great question. We don't just take things for face value just because somebody says to do it. We must see. Does that make sense? How can a mere man, because if Paul can do it, why can't Billy Bob do it? Why can't James Tippins do it? Because the Word of God disagrees with me if I say something wrong and the Word of God corrects me, and then I can say it rightly. And that's what we're looking for, right, in intimacy? We want right understanding, right learning, right gospel, right love. Why? Because all of that together is right worship. The Father is seeking those who worship Him in spirit and truth. Those, not you. Those. So how is it that Paul is not an error here? That Paul may, Look at Paul's track record. His entire life before Christ met him on the road to Damascus and against his will gave him truth was supposedly by the authority of God and the word of God and the prophets and he was doing the will of God according to what he understood the Bible. How are we supposed to trust the apostles against other men? Well, Jesus says in John 14, he's talking to these men. Not to James. He's talking to the apostles and then he grafts Paul into the twelve, makes him an apostle as a picture of God's electing grace, a picture of God's sovereignty. Let's take this Jew of Jews who hates my guts and let him be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's sovereignty. I'll turn a hater into a gospel preacher. Jesus says in John 14, But the Holy Spirit, the Helper, whom the Father will send in my name, will, listen to this, teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Oh, I wish that was true for me. So when the apostles write, they write by the Spirit. In their own words, and in their own voice, and in their own personality, and their own understanding of things, but taught by the Spirit of God. 
or their own perspective of things, but taught by the Spirit of God and their understanding. And so therefore, when they wrote, and they wrote a lot of things. There were probably a lot of letters that Paul wrote that were just personal letters that weren't meant for the church to know. Because the Spirit of God did not collect them and put them in this collection of writings. So here, the Spirit of God is speaking to the apostles. And what do the apostles do? The apostles brought salvation to the world. The apostles went out and proclaimed the gospel, and then where the gospel was received, that means by the Spirit causing people to believe, like Thessalonica, where the gospel was received and God's people began to gather together in agreement with the commands of the apostles, thus the commands of Christ, then the apostles trained and established the right function of this family of faith called the assembly. Not the church. That's a bad English translation. It doesn't even mean assembly. But that's what we call it. So for the sake of simplicity, we know what a church is. It's a people. Not a place. And then these people who are God's people submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and all His commands for them to live in peace and harmony and unity. And the oversight was responsible. Those responsible for the oversight were the elders of the church. What kind of a moron wants to do that? You're looking at one. You can do nothing else. Timothy was called of God and trained by Paul. And then Timothy trained probably a thousand men who trained a thousand men. But let's say they only did ten. Thirteen turned the world upside down by the power of Christ and then they wrote it all down and it's still turning the world upside down today. The apostles bring salvation by the Spirit to God's people. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So the apostles wrote their letters then to perpetuate this continued growth of the church. Not only in intimacy, but also in number. God is calling His people to faith. He's calling His people to see. He's calling His people to grow. And then the job of the church is to stick together under the commands of Christ and His apostles and see it to the very end. And that's why this letter is written. And that's the authority through which this letter has teeth. And it bites into us. In Hebrews 4, the Scripture is living and breathing and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts flesh and bone and marrow and soul. <laughs> For those of us who have played video games that are, you know, of the, the, the magical sorts, you know, you always want that soul-winning sword, right? You can capture some kind of power and you can use it for something else. The Word of God. It's a soul-winning sword. And it captures its people. It captures God's people. It snatches us out of darkness. It blinds us 
and gives us sight in the same, same breath. Paul wrote this letter because Timothy was an elder. And it was the most <laughs> frustrating job the young boy could have ever had. And he was going through massive division, massive community hatred, massive attacks. And one of the primary reasons is that people didn't want to listen to his instruction. Didn't want to listen to Paul's instruction through him. So Paul wrote this letter to encourage this young pastor. And say, hold on. Don't let anybody look down on you because of your age. Who cares? When you're 40, it'll be the same way. When you're 80, they'll still hate you. It doesn't matter. They'll call you boy now, but 20 years from now, they'll call you stupid. Or they'll call you a heretic or whatever. It doesn't matter how old you are. Whatever they can grab hold to, to mock you, and to hurt you, they will grab hold to it. It doesn't matter. So those circumstances will just open doors to new ones. People do not want to listen to Christ's commands on how they should live together and how they should obey His appointing, His appointed instruction through His appointed messengers, His apostles. And that's why all of that is just to get out the authority of this letter. An apostle of Christ. By the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So let's look at that. Has Paul written a letter? Now, Galatians is a tough one. Galatians is Paul's first letter, and Galatians is a letter written about some... The only letter not written to a church by Paul because of problems was Ephesus. And that's why it's so awesome. Because Paul is in a good spirit. Paul praises God. He writes his doxologies in there. I mean, I Ephesians, even though you know, John's writings always going through my head... For my soul and for my joy, the teaching of Paul to the letter to, to, to the church of Ephesus is, is there. It's always in my head, every moment of the day. Always there. Because there's a lot of just awesome stuff. But even then, what does he say? He gives direct instruction. What to do, what not to do, how to live, how not to live, what to think, what not to think, how to speak, what not to say, and all these things. Why? Because Christ has saved us for Himself. Let us live according to His glory for our joy. To so the apostles, even in Galatia, even when Paul gets in there, he gets Abraham and, and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and he gets the, the, the flood and all sorts of stuff. He just goes right to the juggler, calls them bewitched, calls them dumb, all sorts of stuff. He still loves them. He's never going to abandon them. Because Paul's appointment as an apostle was for the joy of the people of Christ. Not their chastisement and destruction, but for their growth and their edification. So we see that Paul has been commanded by God to instruct the people who have been saved and who have hope in Christ. God is our Savior. God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is our hope. So therefore the instruction, as John would say, the commands of Christ are not burdensome for the body of Christ. What are the commands that John deals with? It's to love one another as Christ loves us. And we don't get to sit around and go, but he's not my brother. Oh, we got that one too. Love your enemies as yourself. 
Duh! I can't get away from this. <laughs> Come on, God. I'm justified. No, you're not. You're justified because I killed my son instead of you before me, but you're not justified the way you're acting amongst each other. So straighten it up. It's not condemnation. It's encouragement. Hey, get your hand out of that fireplace. Well, I just, it's been burning for weeks. Get it out of the fire. I just don't want Let me encourage you to get your hand out of the fire. How about, let me take your hand out of the fire. See how silly that sounds? But that's what we do as human beings. That's what we do as Christians when we don't want to hear the instruction of Christ. We don't want to settle in the people because we want more. We want something different. We want, to, we want to justify ourselves in our anger, our frustration, our assumption. We want blood, but the blood has already been shed and His name is Jesus. It's already been paid. It's been poured out. The body has already been broken. We don't have to break ours. We don't have to break our body. We don't have to break our, our fellowship. That is the work of the enemy. Every single time. Well, I'm being persecuted from the gospel. No, you're not. You're being persecuted because you're a rear end. You're being persecuted because you're hard-headed. Real persecution comes when people are silent. When we're silent and people persecute us, that's gospel persecution. When we're standing in the sufficiency of God's promises and we will not engage in other actions... That is gospel persecution, not persecution. Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our hope. And this intimate letter, as friendly as it is, is very authoritative for us, church. Paul sent Timothy to Corinth. He called him my beloved child in the faith. Why did he send Timothy to Corinth? And this is in 1 Corinthians. This is, you know, we see this letter, we see this chastisement, we see this, but what does he do? Why did I send Timothy to you? What does he say? To encourage you and to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So you see what the apostles did? Is the apostles didn't stand up here and say, do this, do this, live this way, talk that. He, he said, this is what we must do as I am doing, you do. So elders, as we do, you do. See why elders can't be busy about other business? So why elders, men of God, called of God, cannot be on social media debating. It's sinful, it's wicked, it's evil. That is not God's orchestrated means of correction. This is. I don't care. Hate me. Block me. Turn me off. Turn the other way. Poke out your ears. It doesn't matter. We are responsible for one another, beloved. We live in an incredible age of technology. When the lights go out, God's going to shut all these blowhards up. So what do we do? We rest. We maintain sufficiency. We listen to the Word of God. My plan was to teach Timothy, and then I decided to teach Genesis. Why? Because sometimes the timing is wrong. Oh, he's teaching Timothy now because he's upset. Well, I got 18 weeks of Genesis under my belt. I'm not upset. I'm not upset with the church. Are you upset with the church? 
Are you upset with Christ? We get that way, don't we? Why is the world the way it is? Why is my life the way it is? Why is this? It's normal. Listen, it's normal and it's natural. It's what we do. But my job and the job of the elder brothers in this church are to encourage you as we watch over you, as we care for you, as we make sure that what you're trying to accomplish is under the promises of God's Word. And when we say, hey, look, let's let that go, or hey, let's just be still, or let's stop. God does not call somebody out of the chair into the mission field like that. It's years and years and years and years and years. Paul, 13 years before he ever planted a church. Ever! Folks, calm down. Be patient. Sit still. God is sovereign. He doesn't need your commitment. He needs you to see His promises are sufficient. And we submit to the promises because God is our Savior. Christ Jesus is our hope. So therefore, we can listen to the apostles who married themselves to the church through the blood of Christ. We are then to marry ourselves to one another through the blood of Christ. And one of the things that we'll see is that as a church, as a body, as a person, as individuals, we need to pray more than ponder. We don't need to talk about that. We don't have to talk about stuff. We talk about stuff when it's necessary, but talking is not going to resolve it. Just like Sister told me this morning, praying is going to resolve it. God is going to resolve it. Then we can talk about it as needed, but most importantly, we can praise Him for what He's done. The instructions of this letter are going to feel painful for some of us. Do not rebuke an older man. That means you cannot open your mouth to someone older than you in a rebuke. That's another one. Be not quarrelsome. Do not give in to suspicion. What else? Slaves, regard your masters worthy of honor. (laughs) What? Oh, I'm woke. I ain't listening to that. Well, you're not very woke then. When God takes the scales off of our our eyes, the instruction of the Scripture, it will fight against our flesh. It will not cause us to fear our redemption. And beloved, we're not to be in the business of causing others to fear their salvation. Because in doing so, we're actually saying we're God and they can do something about it. You know, fear has never saved a soul. That's why I and we should despise that type of evangelism. That's why we should despise that type of correction. We love each other. Because God has first loved us. How has God loved us? How does God feel about us? God doesn't display His feelings on paper. God acts in His love on the cross. That's what He did. He gave His Son for the life of His people. So let's continue to worship together in remembering the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior and our hope. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the truth of this letter, Lord. And much was said 
to remind us about the authority of these apostles, of these men whom you, by the Spirit, have called and destroyed. You destroyed their lives, Lord. They suffered amazingly. But they never left the hope of Christ. They never gave up. They never quit. Because you had called them and equipped them and gave them the encouragement to endure because of your power and your promises by your Spirit. So Lord, as we read their words, as we understand the the power of your grace to us, your people, Lord, help us to be that emboldened. Lord, help us to be bold with the gospel. Let us be able to speak the truth. Father, help us to be able to say, hey, that's, that's not correct, or that's an error, or if that's your hope, then, then you're not born again. But Lord, help us not to be jerks. And help us not to divide over the issues of where we're called to encourage and to equip one another. Lord, teach us patience. Teach us to be kind and gentle. Teach us that we do not have the authority to send people to hell or to consign them to reprobation. We don't have the authority to not forgive and to not seek reconciliation. We don't have the authority to ignore what we don't like and to embrace what we do like according to your word. But Father, all authority has been given to your son who has given his word through your apostles. And now we have it and we cherish it and we long for that intimacy. And so Father, I pray for wisdom for the elder brothers of this church as we continue to reach out to the body at large. And Lord, we reach out to those who are, who are just missing, who, who are doing everything else in life but assembling with the body. Father, may that not be. It is not good for us or for them. But Father, let us not be bitter in our soul toward anyone just because we are sufficiently seeing the need. And Father, let us not pass judgment on anyone because they may be different or weaker or more sinful in our own eyes than we are because we are all recipients of grace and it is only by grace that we have stood before you righteous for you have given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ as our clothing and it's not up for us to put it upon us but Lord, you have clothed us permanently by your power and through your word, Lord, we are able to see you and to savor every moment. And Father, we pray for one another who are struggling. There are so many, Lord, who are struggling in their flesh and in their bodies. And some in their mind and their spirit and their conscience, Lord. And we are to encourage each other, not by guilt or shame or fear, but Father, by encouragement, by reminder, by expectation. And Father, most importantly, by service. Let our intimacy and our service to you be revealed through our service and intimacy to one another. And Father, help us above all things to be patient. Lord, grow us to a people that displays your glory by your grace, as we've been saying for the whole moment of our time together as a small little family of faith. But Father, I, I pray, Lord, that in the end of it all, that everything that we are and everything that we remain to be and everything that we will become will never be able to be boasted by our own lips. But Father, we can only just bow our heads and say, Thank you, Father. We are a people of your possession. Do, is, do as you please with us, Lord. And When we feel your discipline, Father, help it not be something that we cower back, but we stand bold before the throne of grace and call you Papa. Call you Daddy. For you have given us life in Christ Jesus. Amen.